If you'll find your place in your Bible this morning at the book of Esther, uh, we're looking at Esther chapter 4. I wish I could read more of the book of Esther to you, but we're going to be looking at Esther uh, chapter 4 here in just a few moments. And we might look at some verses from other sections of Esther, but primarily focused on the fourth chapter. And we're in a series of messages that we began a couple of weeks ago dealing with the subject of being a difference maker, uh, making yourself available to be used by God to make a difference in other people's lives. Uh, we learned in that very first message from the story of Nehemiah that we all have to work together. We have to lock arms together. We have to serve together. We have to be a part of a team. We all have to participate as one in the task that God has given to us. Uh, last week, we talked about how Jesus went about doing good and Really, when we talk about being a difference maker, it means going about doing good. The most important good you can do is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. But there are lots of ways for us to do good that open the doors for people to hear the gospel of Jesus. Well, today we're going to be talking about being a difference maker, and we're going to be talking about our purpose, and we're going to talk, be talking about God's providence how providence and purpose work together to bring us to that place where God can use us for his glory and for his kingdom. My older sister, who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, just a few weeks ago sent me a copy of a devotion that came from a devotional that she reads. Uh, it was written by Dr. Adrian Rogers. Dr. Rogers was the pastor of the Great Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for many years. It's one of the largest churches in the nation. He was pastor there for over 30 years and did a tremendous work for God. He's now in heaven. He left behind, obviously, a body of work with all of the messages. He had Love Worth Finding, which was his television and radio broadcast. Uh, he had uh, about eight or ten books that he had written, and one of them included uh, some devotionals. This one is from April the 6th, 2021. This is when it came to her, April the 6th, 2021. And it's about being a lemming. <laughs> and he writes, I'll read just a short portion. Do you know what a lemming is? A little animal who somehow gets in his mind a weird compulsion. And then all of them get it. They go headlong on a journey toward the sea. Over the mountains they go, across the rivers they go, through the woods they go, on and on, until they get to the sea. Then they all jump in and drown. <laughs> They're doing everything to get there, then that's it. There are a lot of lemmings, he says these days, working, striving, building, all to end in a Christless existence but you don't have to be like everybody else. You have a great purpose in life. God saved you out of that meaninglessness. Now, to be honest, when I read this from my sister, I began to understand why I feel that draw to the ocean every year, <laughs> why I want to go to the beach every year, though I don't drown myself in the waters. But more importantly, I liked what he had to say. You have a great purpose in life. God saved you out of that meaninglessness. A number of years ago, almost 20 years ago, Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. We've used it on occasion in some of our life groups. 
Uh, it's an excellent book. It's a foundational kind of a book. If you have known the Lord a long time and have been mature, or are mature in the faith, uh, you would find it some of the elementary truths that all of us need to know, and they're foundational truths. But it's an excellent book, and we've used it on a number of occasions. Uh, and that book talks about the purpose of God, that all of us have a specific purpose that God has given to us. I thought it was interesting, one thing that happened related to that book just a few years after it was written. It also happened in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it took place uh, in a courtroom. A man by the name of Brian Nichols was being led to trial for rape charges. And on the way, he was able to overpower the, the guard that was with him, a female guard that was with him, and to get her gun from her. He took that gun into the courtroom. He shot dead the presiding judge. He killed the court reporter. He also killed another deputy that was in the courtroom, and he got away. And a little bit later, he killed a federal agent while he was trying to flee. Back at that point in time, 2005, the largest manhunt that had ever taken place in Atlanta was underway. They were looking for this man who was a rapist, and now a four-time killer. He was able to escape them. He was able to steal a car. Uh, ultimately, he was able to stay in the shadows, and he wasn't found for a period of time. It was 2.30 in the morning, and a young woman uh, by the name of Ashley Smith left her apartment to go to the store to get something and to come back to her apartment. She didn't notice that car that was parked in the shadows down at the end of her parking lot complex. But when she came back from the store, uh, this gentleman, this man, I shouldn't even say gentleman, Brian Nichols, pulled up to her, stopped her, and she ended up being a hostage in her own apartment for the next several hours. During those hours, part of the time, she was tied up. Uh, she wasn't able to be free at all. But over a little bit of time, she began to talk to him and began to you know, try to create conversation with him. And little by little, he softened up a little bit. At one point, he released her from being tied up. And she asked, could I go get a book that I'm reading and just read? And he said, yes, if you'll read out loud to me. And the book that she went and got was the book written by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. And she had been reading in the 33rd chapter. That's the 33rd day. It's a 40-day uh, book. You, for 40 days, you read a a chapter each day. She was reading on the 33rd day in her Duluth apartment. Duluth is on the northeast side of Atlanta. I was re reading the book, and she began reading it out loud. And she came to a portion in the 33rd chapter, and this is what it said, reading to this man who had just killed four people. We serve God by serving others. The world defines greatness in terms of power, possessions, prestige, and position. Rick Warren goes on. If you can demand service from others, you've arrived. In our self-serving culture, with its me-first mentality, acting like a servant is not a popular concept. He was curious about what she was reading, and they entered into a conversation about her faith in Christ and about what she was learning out of this book. And she even said to him, even your life matters and has a purpose. He apparently had a son. 
And she reasoned with him that even, her, even his life mattered because of her son, his son, excuse me. And then she said this, but after I started to read to him, he saw, I guess he saw, my faith and what I really believed in. And I told him I was a child of God and that I wanted to do God's will. I guess he began to, to want to. That's what I think. I guess he began to want to, that is, do God's will. That's what I think. Several hours passed. It was early morning hours, 7.30, 8.30 in the morning. She was to go and pick up her daughter, her young daughter, who was at a family member's house, being kept there at a family member's house. And she finally asked permission if she would be allowed to leave and go get her daughter. And Nichols agreed. She got in her car, and not long after she got in her car, she dialed 911, and within minutes, the Gwinnett County SWAT team had surrounded the apartment, and he waved a white flag, and he surrendered without any more incident. Do you believe that even somebody like Nichols has a purpose? Do you believe that, that God has a purpose for all of our lives? Obviously, Nichols had lost the sense of that purpose. He told her in that meeting that they had over those hours that she was held captive, he told her that he had grown up in the church, but he had long since left and gone away from the church. Obviously, long since left and gone away from the church. And he had lost a sense of the meaning of life. He had lost the sense of the purpose of life. And really, people are asking those questions. Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Where am I going? Why does my life matter? They're asking those kinds of questions, and we need to be able to understand that God has a purpose for every one of our lives, from the youngest amongst us to the oldest amongst us. If you're still breathing breath today, God has a purpose for your life. And God wants your life to matter. He wants you to be a difference maker. And the way Christians are difference makers is by serving God, by serving other people. Even in the most difficult of circumstances as that young woman found herself on that particular day. This story that's found here in the book of Esther illustrates what I'm talking about. I wish we had time to look at all of the chapters of the book of Esther. It's one of the most fascinating books of the Old Testament. Esther takes place, if you will, time-wise, chronologically, between the sixth and the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra. If you remember, the children of Israel had been captured by the Babylonians some a hundred or so years, a century or more before this book was written. Esther was written. This unfolded. More than a century before, they had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem, picked up the people, most of the people, and carried them into this strange land, and they were to live in Babylon. The Babylon would be conquered by Persia. And when, when Persia conquered Babylon, the king at that time, Darius, 
made a decree that the Jews who were living in that land could go back to Jerusalem. They could rebuild their city. They could reestablish their worship. And that's what's taking place in Ezra and Nehemiah. They're going back. They're, re, uh, they're rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls of the city, reestablishing uh, the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed a century or more before. But a lot of the Jews didn't want to leave. They'd grown comfortable living in what was Babylon and is now Persia. They had grown comfortable living in that land, and they didn't want to go back. And so a lot of them were still in the land. One of those was a young woman by the name of Esther. And this is her story, living in the land of Persia, and how she came to understand God's providence and her purpose in life. The story opens in the book of Esther telling you about King Ahasuerus. Don't you want to say that name a bunch of times? <laughs> King Ahasuerus. He was also called Xerxes. But King Ahasuerus had a queen by the name of Vashti. Vashti was a beautiful woman. The king throws a big party. It lasts for many days. Obviously, drunkenness prevails. And the king sends for Vashti, the queen, and wants her to dance before all of these drunken men, before all of these to see her beauty. And she absolutely refuses. If you look back just for a moment into chapter 1, you see it in verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Now, she didn't refuse out of rebellion. She refused out of self-respect and out of dignity. She refused to come. Well, that enraged the king. And the result was she gets deposed from being the queen in Persia. After the anger of uh, king Ahasuerus calms down a little bit, they come to him and they say, look, you, you've got to find another queen. You've got to find somebody else to come be the queen over Persia. And there's 127 provinces in Persia in Persia. And he sends out the messengers to find the most beautiful virgins that are available throughout the kingdom, 127 provinces. And they gather all of these women together at the palace. It's, it's like a beauty contest, only worse. It's like a beauty contest, the most beautiful women in the land. And ultimately, he's going to choose from amongst those women the next one who is going to be the queen in Persia. One of those women that was chosen to go to that place was a woman by the name of Esther. Now, there's a subplot that's going on that you've got to know about. Esther's now been included in this group of women that are potentially one of them, potentially going to become the next queen in Persia. But there's a subplot going on because there's a man by the name of Heman. And this man has risen to a, Haman, excuse me, has risen to a place of power. Did I say Heman? He's a he-man. <laughs> His name is Haman, and he rises to a place of power and a place of authority in this kingdom. He has the king's ear, and Haman hates the Jews. He especially hates one particular Jew. His name is Mordecai. Some people say Mordecai, Mordecai. Mordecai the Jew. Mordecai is the older cousin to Esther. By the way, I failed to tell you that Esther did not reveal that she was a Jew. 
Mordecai is her older cousin. When Esther's parents had died, Mordecai took her in and raised her as his own child. And Haman hates Mordecai. He hates all of the Jews, but he especially hates Mordecai because Haman had issued a decree that whenever he passed by, everybody had to fall down before him. And Haman refused. He absolutely refused to do so. He would not bow to anyone but to his God. Well, that only enraged Haman that much worse, that much more. And the result was that Haman developed a plot so that he could destroy not only Mordecai, but all of the Jews. This is one of the original Hitlers. It was going to be an extermination of the Jews. He gets the king on board. The king agrees to this plan, not knowing that Esther, who was ultimately chosen to be the next queen, is herself a Jew. He's on board now with Haman, and he allows him to send out this decree that on a certain day, they they cast lots to determine what day the death of these Jews would take place. And he sends out a decree throughout all these 127 provinces that on this particular day, all of these Jews are going to be exterminated. They're all going to be killed. Mordecai gets word of this terrible plan. You'll notice chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no, one, for, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And you can see what's happening to all of the Jews throughout all of that territory of per- Persia. They all know that their death is impending. And Mordecai is right there in Shushan, right there in the capital. And his cousin, Esther, his younger cousin cousin that he had raised like a daughter, has been chosen to be the queen to King Ahasuerus. Well, Esther hears about Mordecai and about the sackcloth and ashes and about the mourning that's going on. So she sends out her servant. His name is Hathach. Wouldn't you love to have that name? Sends out her servant, Mahathach, to find out what's going on, Mordecai. She doesn't know anything about Haman's plot. She doesn't know anything about the king being on board with Haman's plot to kill all of the Jews. What's going on? What's going on, Mordecai? I've never seen you like this before. Mordecai sends word back about what's happening. You notice verse 9? So Hathach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. In essence, Mordecai says, look, you're on the inside. You're now the queen here. You've got to do something. You've got to do something. And Esther sends the word back, I can't do anything. If I go in without being summoned into the presence of the king, I'll die. I'll lose my life. 
So Mordecai sends word back, verse 12. So they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do you think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? In other words, once they find out that you're a Jew as well, don't you think you're going to die, Esther, just like all of the others of your people are going to die if this plan continues through? And then he challenges her, verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And I love that. That's an expression of faith. If you don't come through, I'm I'm telling you, God will send help somewhere else. But you and your father's house will perish. You who know whether, yet you, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That's providence. Who knows, Esther, whether God has allowed all of these unfolding plans, the deposing of Vashti, all of the women gathered, you being the one chosen out to be the next queen. Even though you're Jewish, nobody knows it yet. Even though you're Jewish, you're the next queen. It is that God has placed you there. It may be that God has ordained all of these circumstances, that all of these things will happen as they've happened. And obviously he had. You understand, you do understand God's sovereign, right? So he sends back word. You think you're going to escape? You're not going to escape. Once they find out you're a Jew, you're going to die just like the rest of us are going to die. And it may be that God has brought you here for just this very purpose. Verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. And with great courage, she goes before the king and ultimately, she saves the Jewish people alive. And I wish we could take, you time, take the time to take you through the rest of Haman's story and find the reversal of fortunes. He becomes the one that dies rather than the Jews. God turns it all around. But here was a woman who was placed where she needed to be at the moment she needed to be there. And God gave to her the courage to understand her purpose for being there. And she steps forward and she does the heroic thing. She does the courageous thing because she understood finally that this was more than just about being a pretty face. This was about more than just dressing in the nice clothes. This was about more than living in the palace of the king. This was about having a purpose for my life. And God has providentially brought me to this place so that I would recognize and find my purpose. Can can I just suggest to you for a moment that God is at work in every one of our lives. God is moving in all of our lives. He's trying to get us to the place where he wants us to be. He's moving us behind the scenes. You don't even know it. You don't even understand it. You can't even comprehend all of it. But God is always at work bringing you to where he wants you to be because there is a divine moment. There's a divine appointment in your life. There is a purpose for which God has made you. And God wants to fulfill that purpose through you. If you'll only surrender all, 
and be willing to be used by him. There's three thoughts I want to give you as we think about this story. The first is this. God's first place of service for you, God's first place of service for you is right where you are right now. God's first place of service for you is right where you are right now. You know, a lot of times we have this idea, this mindset that, you know, if I can just find that perfect place to serve, if I can just find that ideal spot where all of my gifts fit and all the things that I like to do all coalesce at one particular point, then I'm going to get involved and I'm going to serve God on campus, off campus, in the world around me. I'm going to serve God, but until I find that place, I'm just going to sit here on my couch and sit on my hands. The reality is your first place of service is right where you are right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying you can't get to where God wants you to be until you start moving where you are and you start serving where you are. Let me, let me give you a practical illustration. Periodically, I have to use the GPS in my phone to be able to get from one place to another. Are you that bad? It's a whole lot easier than my wife telling me, turn here, turn there. You, know, you missed it, dummy. Go back. <laughs> it's a whole lot easier. I, I just plug it in. Let's, let's just say that I've got to go to Lexington. And I put in the address in Lexington where I have to go. And I'm sitting out here on the church parking lot. You know the first thing it tells me? Proceed to the route. It knows I'm not on the road. It knows I'm in a parking lot. You know what I got to do before I can get to the road where I want to be, which was I-64, because I-64, 100 miles down the road is how you're going to have to get to where I have to go. And I want to be on the interstate, right? That's the quickest way to get there. You don't want to be on Route 60. You want to be on the interstate, right? You want to be traveling the quickest road, the, the best road to be able to get there where there's stops if you need to make stops and so forth. And so it says, proceed to the route. It means to go up here to West P Ridge and turn left. And I go down to the stop sign, and I turn right on the Irwin. And it tells me, turn right on the Irwin Road. And she's got a lot friendlier voice than mine. And get down to the bottom of the hill where the traffic signal is, and it says, turn left on the Route 60. It calls it something else on my phone. Turn left on the Route 60, and then it says, get over in the right lane. I love this. I love this because I don't have to even think. <laughs> and I get over in the right lane, and it says, Turn right onto the interstate. And then when you get to the top of the interstate, it says merge onto the interstate. <laughs> like I'm going to ride in the, you know, the shoulder, on the shoulder. And then it says proceed on route for 100 miles or 95 miles. In other words, I can't get to where I'm supposed to be until I start moving where I am. And people are sitting on their hands and they're sitting in the pews and they're saying to themselves, you know, if I can just get the right title, if I can just get the right position, if I can just get the right job, I know what my gifts are and I know what my skills are and I know what I like to do and what I don't like to do. If I can just find that perfect spot, then I'll get busy serving God and making a difference in other people's lives. But until I find that, I'm not doing anything. And can I just stop and tell you, you will never find 
where God's providence and God's purpose come together to kiss one another as long as you're sitting still and not doing your part right where you are. I don't particularly like having to drive on the West Pea Ridge. I don't mind that I live on West Pea Ridge, but I don't particularly like having to ride on West Pea Ridge to get on I-64. I definitely don't like going down Irwin past that big dumpster with all the trash sitting around it. And then when you turn on to Route 60, it's... You know, Katie, bar the door. If you aren't careful and wait, you're going to get hit down there at the end of the road. And then when you pull up on the, the you know, the, uh, the entrance to the interstate, you know, you got to merge with these people coming this direction. Hey, I just get me on the interstate. You don't get on the interstate unless you're willing to take the intermediate pathways to get there. I have yet to find a way to have a helicopter just come and sort of grab the car. <laughs> And then pick me up and just put me over here on the interstate, and now I'm ready to go. It doesn't work that way. You follow what I'm saying? God's first place of service for you is right where you are right now. It is to say, I'm going to put my hands to the plow. I'm going to get busy. I'm going to do something for the glory of God. It may not be the perfect fit for me, but I'm going to proceed to the route. And I'm going to follow the roads that are before me until I get to the road where I want to be, where I feel like that I'm best at serving God. I'm going to get busy moving in a direction, doing something for God. I see this happen with a lot of college students. They go to college. They've been told their whole lives. They've been told their whole lives, you can do anything you want. You can't do anything you want. I can't be a professional basketball player. I don't know if you know that or not. I can't be a professional football player. I can't be a pianist. I think people that have 10 fingers on 88 keys going in two different directions and feet that are up and down, there's a special coordination that those people have. There's a special gift that those people have. But they've been told their whole lives, you can be anything you want to be. You want to find what you want to do, and you want to do it for the rest of your life. And so they wait until they find what they think is the absolute perfect job. It's absolutely what I've always wanted to do. But the problem is they never get there. So they get re-educated and re-educated again and re-educated a third time and re-educated a fourth time and they're still living at home in their parents' house and they're 25 and they're 26 and they're 27 and they're 28 years of age. Because they don't understand that you don't get to where you want to be by sitting still where you are. You got to start doing where you are what you can do. You got to get moving in a direction. Once the car gets moving, God can steer it where He wants it to go and even where you desire to go. But the reality is, you got to start somewhere. God's first place of service for you is right where you are right now. Esther's place of service was right where she was right then. It was, was it dangerous? Absolutely, it was dangerous. Absolutely, it was dangerous. But was that what she was supposed to be doing where providence and her purpose come together to kiss one another in those moments? Absolutely, that's the moment in her life. And she had to be willing to serve right where she was right then. By the way, she goes in before the king. 
the king extends the scepter to her. And then she is able to turn all of this around so that the judgment comes on Haman and not on the Jewish people. But what if she hadn't served right where she was right then? Stop waiting, folks. Back at the table behind you and the lobby behind you is that round table, that round desk. Just go back and say, I'm willing. I, I know it might not be my perfect job. It might not be my perfect place of service. It might be not exactly what I want to do. I, I really want the pastor's job. <laughs> I, I want to preach the sermons on Sunday. I want the titles that go with it. But you've got to understand, maybe God will put you as a pastor one day. Maybe God will call you as a pastor one day. But you got to get busy where you are serving now, not waiting for the perfect path to come along. Just say, I'm willing to take the path that gets me where I need to go to get moving so God can steer me. By the way, what you think you want to do, you may find God has something far superior. You think Esther was thinking, you know, you know, they didn't have mirrors like we have mirrors, but she looked in those dim mirrors and she thought, I'm, I'm pretty. I looked in the water, you know, the water at the stream. Man, look at that reflection. I, you know, I, I could be a queen. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty. I could be a queen. She gets included in this group of women from the 127 provinces. You know, I, I like being queen. I like being the queen here. I mean, I'm the pretty one. I got all the nice clothes. I'm living in the palace. I mean, this is a great life. And God says, I intend for you to serve right there. There was a higher purpose than just being the queen. Being the queen was the vehicle that got her to the purpose that God had for her. In her life. Number two, number two, difference makers use their influence to impact lives for good and God's glory. Not only God's first place of service for you is right where you are right now, but difference makers use their influence to impact lives for good and God's glory. What does Esther do? By the way, by the way, when you start doing, you start moving. Do you know that God blesses? Look at chapter 2, verse 9. I want you to notice chapter 2, verse 9. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. This is Esther, obtained his favor. This is the one that oversaw all these women that were coming to be, to be tried for the, the, the next queen. She obtains favor of this one who's responsible for her so that he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. In other words, she didn't just got what the other women got. She got more than the other women got. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her for the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the, of the women. I mean, she's moving. She's, she's moving, right? And God's favor is on her. Look down at verse 15. Same chapter, verse 15. And when, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king. She requested nothing from Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Look at verse 17. 
Same chapter, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Or if you will, look over at chapter 5. Chapter 5, after she has revealed that She's going to obey what her uncle, or excuse me, her cousin has told her to do. Listen to what's, what happens, chapter 5, verse 2. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Do you see it? She found favor. She found favor. She found favor. She found favor. Here was a woman who was willing to just go with where God wanted her to go, and the result was she kept meeting God's favor over and over and over again. And it brought her to the place of being queen of Persia. And then she uses the influence that she has to impact lives for good and God's glory. Can I tell you what I mean by being a difference maker? Are y'all with me? Here's what I mean by being a difference maker. I mean using whatever influence it is that God has given to you. You may think of it as a little bit of influence, or you may have a whole lot of influence, but you use the influence that God has given you for the good of others and for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. You use the influence God gives you. Everybody has a measure of influence. If no, no other place, you have a measure of influence in your own home. If you don't, you have anarchy in your home. You have a measure of influence in your own home, and you use the influence. Think of the name Tim Tebow, a famous athlete, football player, baseball player. But do you know what you know most about Tim Tebow? That he uses his influence, what? For the good of others and the glory of God. Think about the children who have challenges in their lives. And he puts on like a prom event all over the country for these children to be able to come together and to be able to have a night of enjoyment, a night of fun. And he's using his influence for the good and the glory of others, for, for, for the good of others and the glory of God. You take the influence that you have and you use it for the good of others and the glory of God. Isn't that what Esther did? She took the influence she had and she used it. I'm thinking back to when I was a youth pastor. We had an event that took place where we got the four high schools that were around our church, that were within a certain radius of our church, and we had a competition. We invited the teams to come in. We invited the cheerleading squads to come in. We had four schools that were in our gymnasium. We had a big gymnasium, much bigger than the one that you and I have. Of course, we didn't have to hang it off the side of a hill. But we were able to have four different schools, and they brought in their, their athletes, they brought in, the, the, uh, they brought in their cheerleading squads. It, it, was a, it was a great event. We had a, we had a guy in our church who was really good with electronics. He built a, a sound meter. Mary will remember it. He built a sound meter, and you put it out here in the middle of the gym. The, the, the bleachers are full of these kids everywhere. And you got the sound meter out here. And then the cheerleaders get to rev up their, their school and their team. And you find out which school has the best spirit, which school is the loudest. Oh, it's the reason why I have tinnitus today, I think. 
and you measured it. But here was the draw. A man played for the Atlanta Falcons. He was a cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons. He had more interceptions than any other Atlanta Falcon uh, cornerback. He was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I invited him to come. And I announced it to all these students, all the football players. They all want to meet the professional athletes, right? Right? They all want to meet the professional athletes. We invited this cornerback to come, and he stood there, and he gave his testimony about how God had changed his life and how he wanted to serve God the rest of his life. Do you know what he was doing? He was using his influence with what were probably, sweetheart, 500, 600 students that were there, maybe 700 students that were there in the gymnasium. What does it mean to be a difference maker? It means in the first place, you start serving right where you are right now. But secondly, it means you take whatever influence it is that God gives to you and you use it to impact the lives of others for good and the glory of God. You use it as a means of bringing the gospel to other people. You know, that's what I do as a pastor. There are pastors who have more influence than I do. But I take the influence that God has has given to me and I pray with all of my heart this late in my ministry, in the fourth quarter of my ministry, I pray that I've been able to use the influence that God has given to me for the good of others and for the glory of the Almighty God. That's all God wants you to do. You run a business, you're rising in the company, your personal palace, your personal palace might be teaching children in the school, it might be entertaining crowds of people, it might be making policy in the state house or in Congress. Well, we'll really have to pray for those folks. Your, your, your personal palace might be caring for the sick in the hospitals, or it might be living in a complex of condos, or it might be working in cubicles with dozens of other people, or it might be delivering the newspaper, or working on a construction crew, or building a great community business, or running a multinational corporation, or any of a dozen or a hundred dozen other things. The end in itself isn't your own profit in your own benefit. The end in itself is how do I take the influence God gives to me and I use it for the good of others and for the glory of the Almighty God. And finally and lastly, God's first place of service for you is right where you are right now. Number two, difference makers use their influence to impact lives for good and God's glory. Number three, fulfilling your divine destiny might mean risking it all to influence people's lives. Did Esther risk it all? She was willing to risk it all. And can I just remind you of something? The reality of life with Jesus is this. It would be better for us to get in the game and lose our lives than to stay on the sidelines and save them. Isn't that what Jesus means in Matthew 16, 25? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We're so busy building moats around our influence because we're afraid we're going to lose it. And God says, don't build moats around your influence. Use your influence for my glory and the good of others. And it might cost you something somewhere along the way. It might cost you big time 
the history of the church is strewn with the names of the martyrs. But you can't make a difference if you're building moats around yourself and saying, I'm just going to protect myself, and I'm going to protect my influence, and I'm going to protect my income, and I'm going to protect, you know, I'm going to protect all this stuff. I'm going to keep myself safe. God never called us to keep ourselves safe. God called us to get busy and go after the task that needs to be done. I have so much more to say to you, but I want to finish with a story. Some of you will know the name Art Linkletter. These young people won't know that name. He was a comedian. Art Linkletter in his book, Yes, You Can, told of an occasion when Walt Disney and he drove around a piece of deserted property that was near Anaheim, California. As the two people, these two men were walking the property, Disney was painting this picture for Art Linkletter of what he wanted to do, how he wanted to use the property. He was explaining to him what was going to happen in the development of this property, but Linkletter couldn't quite see that. Disney told him, says, look, you need to buy up all the property around what I'm talking about because you can put hotels and you can put, you, you can put, um, you can put restaurants, you can put all kinds of businesses around it. But Linkletter said he just couldn't see it. He just couldn't see what Disney could see. Linkletter says he, he estimates that he lost approximately $1 million per step that day by not buying into Disney's dream and accepting his offer because Disney went on to build Disneyland. Can I just tell you something? God will always find someone to play the role of Esther. He will always have a man or a woman willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. So why not let it be you? When you see this dream that God wants to accomplish through your life and with your life, Rather than back up and say, you know, that's just too risky, that's just too dangerous, why don't you step out in faith and say, Lord, take my life and use it. I give it to your glory. How about it, young people? How about it, adults? Here's my life. I give you the influence of my life. Maybe God will call you to the ministry. God calls all of us to the ministry. Some of us to full-time ministry, vocational ministry, and others to ministry where you're working a full-time job and this is your real job, where you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, where you're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. God can take an ordinary person and accomplish extraordinary things. It only, it only takes one person. So why not be the one? Right? Why not be the one?